Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. I don't know about you, but um, I don't know. I, I suppose it happens every year, but it seems that that especially this year that we're living through the year and, and, and the year goes by so quickly. Amen? Here right toward the end of 2017. And um, it was like the year month by month was moving on and then just all of a sudden it's Christmas. I mean, it's just here. You know, I haven't counted the number of shopping days left, but uh, it's not many. And so things begin to pile up on people at this time. So I, I want you to make sure that you intentionally, intentionally take time this month to focus on the real reason we celebrate Christmas. And uh, we'll be talking a little bit about some aspects of that over the next two or three weeks. I'm in a new series uh, that you can see there. But, I, you know, I want to... I I want you to look at one of the most amazing scriptures, one of the most amazing questions that you'll find in the Bible. But first, let's go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 29 through 34. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 29 through 34. And this is referring to uh, the time of when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. He says, the next day... John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who's far greater than I am, for he existed before me. I didn't recognize him as a Messiah, but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified. I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. I saw this happen to Jesus. So, John says, so I testify or declare that he is the chosen one of God. I testify that he is the son of God, the one. And we read about that occurrence back in uh, Matthew chapter three that uh, when Jesus approaches John to be baptized in water, John's saying words like this, after me will come one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I'm not fit to carry or unworthy to remove. I'm not worthy to be his servant. When Jesus approached him, he said, I, I need to be baptized by you, and, and you come to me to be baptized? John, sometimes referred to as the last Old Testament prophet, even though we read about the New Testament, he was an Old Testament prophet in a sense of prophesying the coming of the Lord. Now, he spent most of his time out in the wilderness, a typical prophet's lifestyle of that day, out in the desert, rough-looking clothes, eating locusts and wild honey, kind of a strange person. Sometimes referred to as the forerunner, the one that was preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah. 
Jesus referred to him as the Elijah that you've been expecting to arrive to introduce the one, the Messiah. So it seems that John is quite clear. He points to Jesus as he approaches the river Jordan. He says, behold, the one who's coming to take away the sins of the world. This is the one. He said, he's greater than I am. He existed before I existed, even though Jesus and John were cousins and Jesus was born physically after John. John said, he existed before I did. He's quite clear to say, I'm here to testify that he is the Messiah. He is the one that's coming to baptize with the Spirit. He's coming with vengeance, with power. He's making that declaration, Israel, here comes the Messiah. He's the one. But now, take a look at this. Matthew chapter 11, a little later. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 through 5. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the activities of Jesus, the things that the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus. He sent his disciples to ask Jesus a question. And this is what the disciples asked Are you the one? Are you the expected one, the Messiah, or should we keep looking for someone else who will be the promised one? Amazing. This is the one. I'm announcing. I'm declaring that this is the Messiah. A little bit later, he sends his disciples to Jesus with a question. Are you really the one? Or should we look for another? Amazing question. Well, Jesus could have just answered, yeah. <laughs> he just said, yeah, go back and tell him, yes, I am. But his response is interesting. He says, go back to John and tell him this. Tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life and the good news the gospel is being preached to the poor. Go tell John this. Well, we presume that they did. And I can't help but think that as they came back and, and told John about all these things that were happening, that perhaps some of the, the, the prophecies of Isaiah began to come to mind. Some of those prophecies that talked about the Messiah in several chapters in Isaiah, Isaiah 29, 35, and 42, over and over again it says, that the Messiah is coming and he will heal the sick and he'll raise the dead and the blind will see and he'll bring the gospel of the good news. It says it over and over again. Perhaps John got a new glimpse of this side of the Messiah. And then maybe he thought of Isaiah chapter 61 where it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Perhaps, and you know, Jesus later in Luke chapter 4 says, you know, he read this passage, he read the passage from Isaiah and he says, it's talking about me. I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that's come to proclaim these things. Now, how could John 
question whether or not Jesus was the Messiah after all he had said and after all he believed. After all, when the disciples left to go back and tell John what they'd been instructed to tell him, Jesus continued talking to the people and he said, I tell you the truth, of whom I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. John had just posed a question to Jesus that said, are you really the one? And then Jesus shares about him to the people immediately after that and says, there is no one that's ever lived that's greater than John the Baptist. That is an astounding statement when you think about the patriarchs and those that have lived before him, about David, about Solomon. It, no one has ever been ever, has lived, has ever been greater. Then he goes on with an interesting word. He says, but I want to tell you this, that the least person and the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Can I tell you who the least person is or who a person in the kingdom of heaven is? You. Me. John the Baptist never knew what it was to have the Holy Spirit living within him. He, he died before Jesus died on the cross. He was of the Old Testament dispensation, if you will. So he didn't have the experience that you and I can have. He didn't have the greater than living in him, but you and I do. Amazing work. Now, how in the world could John come to the place where he asked this question, are you the one? I think some things may have affected him. I think, first of all, he was, maybe he was discouraged. Maybe he was going through a time of discouragement. For you see, John had been in prison probably upwards of a year at this time. Herod had seized him and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had just merely told the truth and said, you're living in adultery, you're living in sin. <laughs> they didn't like that. So they seized him. They locked him up in prison. He had been there about a year or more. You know, sometimes people face difficulty. Sometimes they're dealing with, with issues that are, are, are troubling to them. They are maybe are, are experiencing some things, and they say, this isn't fair. I'm going through this, and this isn't fair. I haven't done anything to deserve to be treated this way. Maybe they've been impacted by bad news or by even physical problems or relationship problems and, and things have been hammering them over and over again and they've, they've, they've tried, they're people of, you're people of faith and you want to believe and you trust, but, but you just come to a point to where sometimes you find yourself struggling in this area that we call discouragement. And I think probably John was facing some of that. The second thing I think he had encountered was, uh, I, I use the word distant. He was distant. Distant. And what I mean by that, he was in prison. He had probably not been with Jesus since he had baptized him. It had been over a year. He was not with Jesus as Jesus was traveling and ministering. He was not traveling with the 12. He was separated he was in prison. 
Do you know being separated or distant from a relationship or from a time to actually be with the Lord and experience his presence and know him can affect you? The, the sad thing is that some people, when they begin to deal with spiritual issues in their life, things are going on maybe in relationships or they've been hurt or something has happened. And what do they do? They withdraw from relationships from other Christian, with other Christians. They withdraw from opportunities of fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. They become distant. You know everybody needs some alone time. Everybody needs, I need some me time. Everybody needs some of that privacy. You understand that. In relationship with others. But there's something about, God created us to where we need one another. Relationships with one another are important. And if we distance ourselves from those, it affects us in many ways. It affects us spiritually. What happens tragically sometimes is people try to distance themselves from the Lord himself and say, I, I need some me time. And the thing about it is, you know, wherever you go, there he is. There's something about the fellowship, there's something about a relationship with the Lord that, that he's everywhere and he lives in you. And although you may try to pull away and in, and in your walk with him, you're somewhat distant Yet you need to always be reminded that he doesn't leave or forsake you. You can count on him. But sometimes because of allowing other things in our life, sometimes because we've allowed other things to crowd in and we have allowed even disobedience to enter in some, you know, sometimes we've allowed, and sometimes even good stuff we've allowed to distract us so that we become distance in our personal daily relationship with the Lord. Does he seem close to you? Is the reality of knowing Jesus as a personal Savior and Lord, is that real to you? When you get up in the morning, is that real to you? Do you experience his presence? That's the way God wants it to be. That's the way it needs to be. But John had been separated from that. And I think that that distance had hurt him. Had he been right there and watched the crowds and seen what had happened, had he been in the mix, he probably would have been encouraged by that. I think another thing that perhaps caused him to question it was that he was just disappointed. He was disappointed. Things didn't work out the way he thought they would. Can I get a witness on that? If anybody's ever had that experience in their life where things just didn't happen the way you thought they would. That's what happened with John. After all, he had proclaimed that Jesus, the one, the Lamb of God, has come to take away the sin of the world. What did he expect? No doubt like the other Jewish people of that day, they expected that when the Messiah came, he would come as warrior and king and overthrow the Roman government and take authority and be the ruler and that, that no longer would they be bound by leaders from other countries. They would be set free under the lordship, under the kingly rule of the Messiah. He was coming 
to take control. But he didn't hear about that. In fact, he might have been thinking, you know, if that had really happened, I would have already been released from jail now. I've waited for over a year in jail and there's nothing happened. The same wicked rulers are there. The same bad things are happening. And I don't see any progress here. <laughs> oh, how often you and I deal with situations to where in daily occurrences, things are just not panning out the way we thought they would, the way we expected. And so it disappoints us. It confuses us, doesn't it? Why, why aren't things working out the way they should? Well, you see, the problem was in John's word and prophecy that Jesus was the Son, the Lamb of God. He was coming to reign and to rule, that he is the Messiah. His prophecy was true. His prophecy was correct. It just wasn't complete. In his understanding, his, the timing was off. Because in understanding the coming of the Messiah, the promise of the coming of the Son of God, must, it's kind of like two mountain ranges. In the first mountain range is where Jesus comes as Messiah. He comes as the suffering servant. He comes as God incarnate. He's God born in flesh. He's a human being, 100% man, 100% God. He experiences living as a man. He lives without sin. He comes to live and to die on the cross in our place, the suffering, suffering on the cross for us. He comes to do this the suffering Messiah, the, the Messiah who comes to die in our place and bring salvation. That's the first mountain range. Somehow or another, in John's prophetic understanding, he looked beyond that or didn't see a clear picture of that. That wasn't his focus. His focus was on the second mountain chain. And there's a valley in between the two, and that's where you and I are right now. I don't want to say that we're in the valley in our faith. I just want to say that there's a distance between his, when he came as a suffering servant, he came to die in our place. The first mountain, we are living in the distance between that and the time frame between that and when what? When he is coming again to rule as Messiah and king and be in authority. John saw the second mountain. He just thought it was going to take place immediately. So what he expected didn't take place, but what he prophesied was true, absolutely true. I wonder if we need to ask ourselves a question, do we sometimes, do we ever have doubts, especially when things don't go the way we hope they would? I think most of us would say, yeah, we have encountered that before. There have been times in your life when sometimes it seems almost out of the blue, something crosses your mind like, you know, we're believers, we're Christian followers of Christ. 
and something happens, something crosses your mind, crosses his mind that just simply says, is this all really true? Is, 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 is this really true? Is what I'm living for, giving my life for, is it real? Now we say, well, as believers, we don't want to think those kinds of thoughts, but we're solid in our faith. We believe God is who he says he is. We believe the word. Yes, we believe all those things. But I'm telling you, the enemy will attempt to bring thoughts to your mind or things will try to come in and plant themselves in you that causes you to doubt his reality, that will cause you to doubt his faithfulness, that will cause you to doubt his goodness. You don't give room for that to stay, though. You go right back to the Word and realize that He is who He says He is, that He is the one that you can count on Him. And no matter what anyone says, no matter what anyone says, you can bank on the one you've put your faith in. Even when things cause you to waver just a little bit, and wonder, is this really worth it all? Does this really amount to anything? I think maybe those of us who have been believers for a while, we, we don't, those things don't have a lot of credibility in our lives. But I think that the, those that are kind of fringe area, those who've never come to Christ, that experience those thoughts quite often. That it, it, because all around us today are attacks on the reliability of the Scripture. All around us today are attacks on Jesus and who he is. All around us today in the world, there are people who deny the faith, deny the Word of God, deny that Christ is the Savior, that deny, that deny the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, the world's culture today is filled with people that. And I think there are people that are caught sometimes in an area to where they're trying to deal with it and, and when they get challenged. This happens a lot of times with students that are in universities, particular state universities, that come in there with a certain level of faith. They've been brought up maybe in church or brought up. They've had an encounter with the Lord. They've had, they, they have some background in the Scripture. But then they come into a university or they come sit before so-called uh, so called intelligent professors, and, and they listen to those, and they look, I've been through college, I've been through graduate school, I understand, I understand about those things, I'm not downing education, I'm just saying there's so many outlets, education, media, and other places, where faith, where the reality of Christ is bombarded daily, and thoughts are planted here to say, well, is that really true? I know I was brought up to believe these one, but you know, maybe, maybe I just, maybe I was just wrong. Maybe I have learned better now. People today says, are you really the one? Are you really the one? You know, <clears throat> things didn't go the way Mary had expected. Young girl, her life was kind of planned out for her. She was already betrothed to an older man. By betrothed, some versions say engaged, but engaged is not a good word there. Betrothed was, was a covenant that was binding just like marriage. And so when we say that Joseph and Mary were betrothed, it meant they were already in a binding uh, marriage agreement. Things didn't go the way she expected, looking forward or looking toward the time when she would be 
physically united in marriage with Joseph. All of a sudden, life is going on one day and suddenly there's an encounter where she receives a message from an angel. And the angel says, Mary, you found favor for God. She submits to his will, his word. And what does, what does the angel say? That you will conceive and bring forth a child, a son. And she says, how is that going to happen? I've never been with a man. Things didn't go the way she expected. You know, when God has a plan for your life, if things don't go as you're expecting, there's very real possibility that God has a better way for you to go. That God has more for you than you were even expecting at the time. Then, poor old Joseph, quite a quandary he was in. He gets news that this woman that he's in a marriage contract with is pregnant, of all things. What a shame. What a disgrace. Then he gets a visit from an angel that says, don't be afraid to take this woman as your wife because the one, the child that she's carrying been conceived by the Holy Spirit. That wasn't how Joseph had planned out his life and his future. So sometimes things don't go the way we expect them, but when God has a plan, that's the way to go. Millions of people during this time of year are choosing to celebrate what's referred to as Christmas. Now, there's so many things that could be shared along the line of Christmas. I've spent years, some 20 years at different times here sharing different aspects, what the Word says about Christmas. I have destroyed many of your traditional Christmas ideas in love. Uh, there are just a lot of things that we see at Christmas time that, that doesn't even line up with the biblical story of the birth of Christ. But they have become traditions so engraved that we just believe they're in the Bible. Now, I believe in Christmas. I do. And, I, and, and whether, you know, people say, well, the Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ. No, it doesn't say specifically, but there were some folks that celebrated when he, got, when he was born. There were angels. There were shepherds. There were people all around. There was a mother and father. They celebrated his birth. I, I mean, it doesn't specifically say, yes, you are to have a celebration for the birth of Christ. No, it's not in there. But let's get real. Is there not something inside of us when we hear that God loved us this much that he sent his son and that he was born as a babe in Bethlehem to live out a life that would be offered for us? Isn't there something in there that says, wow, I want to celebrate the fact that he came. I want to celebrate it. Absolutely. Celebrate Christmas. And we got in this thing of what do you call Christmas? Christmas, Xmas, or whatever, you know. Holidays, you know, Christmas tree, holiday tree. Yes, there's been an attempt by some to try to separate Christ from the holiday. That's true. And it's unfortunate. Of course, we 
The term Xmas kind of got a bad rap because it actually was from a Greek term which actually pointed to Christ. It was a symbol of Christ. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, it's important for us to understand that this time of year, millions of people are celebrating the fact that he was the one who came for us. Now, if you're not a child of God, if Jesus Christ is not real in your life, then you are unable to truly and authentically celebrate Christmas. Think about it. Well, you can have a party and you can celebrate the holidays, but only a real child of God who's received Christ can truly celebrate his birth. So we're here to celebrate his birth, and millions of people around the world are, and thank God this is a season of year when you can hear spiritual songs in, in malls and shopping centers. It's a, it's a time where you can watch Hallmark movies. It's a time when you can see all kinds of things that point point to the fact this is a special season. It's amazing how Christmas has evolved down through the generations to become what it is today. The sad thing is, is that sometimes in the midst of all these traditions, we lose sight of the one we're to celebrate. The Bible's quite clear that he was the one that was born in Bethlehem. The couple of the main prophecies that are given, the, the ones we are best known, is that he was born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. This is a, some 700 years before the birth of Christ. The prophet Isaiah says, Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. 700 years later, so that this would be fulfilled, we read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, we read, these words, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God's with us. Hundreds of years before Christ was born, it was said that he was to be born in Bethlehem. The wise men, the Magi, came and asked Herod, we're looking for this king, the one that's supposed to be the king of the Jews. Can you tell us where he's supposed to be born? And, and Herod <clears throat> went to the to the, to the chief priests, the leaders, the religious leaders that day, and they went back to the Old Testament prophecy, and they found in the book of Micah, chapter five, verse two, that but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd, who will shepherd my people. The angel came to Mary, and it was fulfilled. The angel came to Joseph, and it was fulfilled. Simeon was in. Was, was in uh, the temple serving there. Simeon means the God receiver. And he was there ministering. When Joseph and Mary brought the eight-year-old little boy, the baby, to him, and when they, eight days old, when they brought him there, then Simeon blessed him. And Simeon, in, in Luke chapter 2, 36, it says, it has been revealed to him. It had been revealed to him. In other words, when this happened, Simeon said that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. There are several other references we go to, even the genealogy of Jesus, that he was a son of Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, that he was a son of David. He was a royal line. He was, he was a, a, you can see that in all the genealogy there, it proves that Jesus is the one 
who is the Messiah. He's the one. So, what can we take home with us today? What can we take home with us today? It's always good after you hear the word and you're in a time of the word and everything to say, okay, this is not about listening to something and just going off and forgetting it. <laughs> this is not about, well, that was, a, that was a, a good message or that was an okay message or whatever and now we're going to go on and eat lunch. This is about hearing something that you can take with you and digest and, and apply to your life. If what I talk about, if what I teach on Sunday morning is not something you can take and apply to your life, then I feel like I've missed it because his word must be applied to our life before it can affect change. We're to be doers of the word, not hearers only, right? Amen. So let me point out basic things to take home with you off of this. Number one, always believe, number one, it tells us that the Bible is reliable. The prophecies all being fulfilled exactly the way it was prophesied, it was told in the Bible, confirms or lets us know or should remind us that you can trust the Bible. It is the inspired, infallible, God-breathed word. And yet it's not sugar-coated. It doesn't always paint a lovely picture. If it had been sugar-coated, it would have overlooked this little point, this little time where John questioned, are you really the one? But the Bible's real. talks about real people, deals with real situations. And in that, we can learn. And what we take from this is if the Bible promises that this is the Messiah who is to come, and this is how he will live, and this is how he will give his life, and this is, this is what will happen, this is the message of salvation. When we read about these things and we find out, yes, 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 what the Bible says is true. Who God is, according to the Bible, is true. This points out to me, I don't always count on the word, I can count on the Bible. The second thing, and, and always remember, when you're overwhelmed with things you doubt, the best thing you can do is come, just come before the Lord and honestly come before him, ask for wisdom and feed upon his word, get his word in you. It, it's about the truth of his word, not how you're feeling, not about your emotions. It's about the word Martin Luther. <clears throat> uh, it was said, it seemed as if Satan himself was whispering in his ear, Martin, do you feel your sins are forgiven? Suddenly, Luther rose to his feet and he shouted aloud, no, I don't, but I know they are because God says so in his word. Bible's reliable. Cannot. Bible says he's the one, he's the one. Second thing is that you take home with you is you need to always remember God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. The Bible says his promises are yes and amen, so be it. He has given us glorious, rich, abundant promises for us to live out our Christian faith. God always keeps his word. Always will keep his word to you. He is faithful. If there's any problem, the problem's usually found in us, not in him. God keeps his promises. Are, are you dealing with situations now where you, you need to lean on and believe on that certain promises God has given you, certain things he's put in your life? I want to encourage you today. Claim his promises. Go to the book. Claim those promises Stand on them. 
confess them, and believe that you receive them. I think a third thing you can take home with you is just the simple reality that, yes, Jesus is the one. There's all kinds of lies out there today that says, well, Jesus is one, but he's not the only one. It's a popular politically correct statement for people to say, Jesus is a way to God, but there are many other ways. That is a lie. It's simply a lie. We could go into great depth about reasons why we, basis for why we know this is a lie. We don't have time to do that today. But we need to know that there's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me or by me. We should unashamedly as Christians, not in pride and arrogance, but we should unashamedly when we're with others, we should share, we should declare, we should never be ashamed of the fact that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the only way to find forgiveness of your sins. He is the only way to heaven. Well, it may make them mad or offend them. We don't want to be offensive in our ways, but if his word offends and it truth offends, so be it. If people don't ever hear the truth, how are they ever going to have change in their lives? So never be ashamed. If you're young, if you're old, never be ashamed of the fact that as a Christian, you have as your Savior the one, the only one who can provide for you the things that God has promised and who has given you a home in heaven, eternity. Yes, he's the one. He's the one who saves you and forgives you. He's the one who heals you. He's the one who blesses you and brings increase into your life. He's the one who delivers you from things that are holding you back, that are binding you. He's the one that gives you joy when you're dealing with sorrow. He's the one that gives you strength when you're wondering and you're dealing about things that, cause you to feel weak. He's the one who will always be there for you. He's the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the one who is enough. In fact, can I say, he is the one who's more than enough. Why would we look for anyone else? Some of the disciples had forsaken Christ, had gone off in different directions. And Jesus turned to Peter one day and said, Peter, are you going to, you going to go somewhere else? Are you going to leave? And Peter asked a question. He said, Lord, who else are we going to go to? To whom will we go? That's what it comes down to. There is only one. Why look anywhere else? Why look anywhere else to be satisfied? Why look anywhere else for peace of mind? Why look anywhere else for fulfillment? Why look anywhere else? Why look anywhere else? when we already have the one, and his name is Jesus. He's the one. The last thing to take home with you, one of the things I encourage to take home with you is that you can be sure he's coming again. What we say today proves to us that we can be absolutely sure he's coming again. Oh, John the Baptist kind of got to jump on things. 
But what John prophesied about is still going to happen. And if all the scripture that promised, that gives us the promises that prophesied about Jesus' first coming, if all of them happened, came to pass, if all of them took place, then that should give us absolute assurance that if he promised he was coming the first time and he came and he promises he's coming again, he's coming. He's coming again. Well, <clears throat> he's not coming as a suffering servant this time. He's not coming because there's no need to die for people's sins anymore. He's done everything he needs to do for our salvation, for everything that we need in our life. He's coming next time to establish his kingdom here on earth. He's coming next time as the reigning king and Messiah. Be assured, he's coming again. Everything we are, everything we have, and everything we believe is based upon Jesus being the one who he says he is. Satan wants you to look some other place, but let's stay with the simplicity of the gospel that we simply need Jesus. It's all about knowing him. All about knowing him. So can I encourage you today? There's no reason for you to look anywhere else. You have one who has come, who is here, who his love is available to you. You have one you can depend on absolutely now. Even when you deal with fleeting thoughts, doubt, or troubles, or why this is happening. Very quickly, that's gone because you come back to the truth that, fact that, no, 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 no. I know what the word says is true. And I know what he's done in my life. I know he's the one. I know, Lord, I know you're the one. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you for that reality. Let's stand Together, Father, thank you for the reality, for the experience of personally knowing you, that you're real, that we can celebrate you. I wonder before we go today, someone here today that really you're dealing with some doubts, you're dealing with some issues, some disappointment in your life, and you just want to say, Pastor, I've been facing some of these things, and if, you know, my, if John the Baptist was dealing with those things, and I mean, you know, people can encounter them today. I've been dealing with some things in my life, and, and I just want to declare today that I really believe that the Lord is the one who can resolve those, those things in my life. The Lord is the one who can bring healing and help. The Lord is the one I can depend on, that Jesus is the one. And I just want you to agree with me in prayer that I can submit, that I can surrender, that I can put all of this before the Lord and allow Jesus to be the king and ruler in my life today. If you desire that, if you've been dealing with some of these things, just quickly raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything like that unless you feel like but if you just really want us to pray for you, pray with you, we'd love to do that. Father, thank you for those today that maybe are dealing with some areas in their life of uncertainty, of failed expectations. Those that 
have feel distant and separated. Those that are dealing with discouragement. Thank you for your word today, Lord, that we can encourage ourselves in you, that we can get your word in our heart and you change us, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're here to work in our lives today. Lord, not only during this special time of year, this season, but throughout the year, help us to declare with all of our heart our thanksgiving to you and our complete faith in the fact that you're the one. You are the one that's come for us. You are the one that's changed our lives forever. And you are the one that, will we, that we will serve as Savior and Lord. That's our heart. We surrender that to you today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.